Amen. 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 So we're going to be beginning this uh, this part of the Bible study in Second Thessalonians chapter two, uh, which is where we started out at last week. If you remember, we we went into more on Antichrist and the abomination of desolation. If you didn't get the last two in this study, I encourage you to do that. They're for the low price of free. Um, so they are the battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38. And then we got into the Antichrist. Tonight, we're going to transition into a different topic. The reason being is because the church world is in a state of chaos right now. It, when, when our God is a God of peace, he's a rock, he's refuge, he's strong tower, the church is anything but that in this hour. Um, we have a lot of chaos in the church world, and there's a reason for it. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at how it, it manifests and how it filters out through the different denominations. The battles, how many of you know that the church has always had battles? But you can't fight yesterday's battles. The, today has new battles. It may be the same enemy, but he's going to come at you in a different way. Now, the way that you win any battle is going to be the same in the spirit. But he's going to come at you with different tactics. And um, the church world is being inundated with the same attacks. Uh, but let's begin in verse number 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So the word of God says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. How many of you know what the gathering is? That's the rapture. That's right. That's the rapture. Hey, could be tonight. Could be. It could be tomorrow. It could be this year. This could be the year. How many of y'all want that? Amen? Our gathering together unto him. What a beautiful way the apostle wrote that. Uh, uh, verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes, and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, if you were here last time, this is the abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke specifically of it. Paul here speaks of it. And Daniel spoke of it. This is the abomination of desolation. This is when the Antichrist sits in a Jewish temple in Jerusalem and says he's God and he's come and all y'all are supposed to worship him. That's what he's going to say. And so the next time you see a Jewish temple in Jerusalem and somebody's there, forewarning, okay? If anybody's listening to this at a later time, there's your warning. But notice before that happens, there's a falling away in the church. How sad is it that in the hour that the church needs to get its voice 
in the hour that the church needs to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, in the hour that the church should be shining brighter, there's a falling away within the walls of the church. The, the church loses its heart, it's lost its mission, it's lost its purity, it's fallen away from the truth. That's it, the truth. The falling away that, that the apostle's talking about here is the truth, okay? That's the closer we get to the gathering of the church to the Lord. And before the Antichrist is revealed, in between those, there you have a great falling away. And you know what? It shouldn't be a surprise. You shouldn't be surprised by it because people fell away even when they followed Jesus. Do you know that Jesus had people that, that just fell back from him? How many of you remember that in John chapter 6? Let me show you that. One, the easiest, one of the easiest ways to remember uh, the falling away with Jesus. How many of y'all know what the number uh, of the name of the Antichrist is? Right? 666. Six, six. Okay, go to John 666. Six, six. It's an easy way to remember it because it's a falling away from Jesus. So let's march over to, to, to the gospel of John and look at chapter 6 real quick. This falling away is foretold here, um, even from the ministry of Jesus. And we'll, we'll back up just for uh, context to 60, um, 64. Jesus said, but there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. The, the betraying are those that fall away. And I want you to kind of get that. I want you to kind of marry that concept up. There are some that just don't believe, but there are some that betray. And that's what the falling away in the church is. The, the falling away that the church is going to do in the last hour is the betrayal of the ages. The hour that more people are going to perish than any other hour in earth's history. The church should be standing in the gap Warning souls of hell's flames. Warning souls of hell's flames. And instead of that, we're playing nightclub. We're playing patty cake with sin. We're allowing sodomites to preach in our churches. We're allowing the world to influence us instead of us warning the world of the danger ahead. The falling away that the church is doing is falling away from that truth. And like Jesus, like he says here, it's a betrayal. These people need the truth. What rescued you is the Holy Spirit was able to communicate the truth to you through a messenger of the gospel. If you're saved, if you're born again, God used a messenger of the gospel. It could have been a gospel track. It could have been a person. It could have been a preacher. My, you know, one of my family members was saved by a preacher in an alley. You could have got saved on a back alley somewhere. We have friends that, that minister on Bourbon Street. You might get saved there. It's just a, just a messenger of the gospel. But you have that and you know what's sad? Is in the hour that the church is going to, is needed the most, the hour before, come on, before the Antichrist reigns? That's the hour the world needs the church to be that pure, spotless bride with a thunderous voice shouting the truth so that people can come out of darkness 
And in that hour, there's a falling away. And so you see here, it's characterized as a betrayal. And I say it's the betrayal of the ages. This is, this is and, and, and it's in the air. It's in the air. You talk about the Bible. You talk about the truth. People don't want it. It's, you know, it's too hard. It's, you know, people don't want to, our generation would say it like this. People don't want to be red-pilled. They want to stay they want to stay in, with the covers on. They want to stay with their head in the sand. They want to stay in a place of comfortability and convenience. And I'm going to get on that in a second. But the, the, this convenient faith is not what God has called you to. God has called you to a contending faith, not a faith of convenience. Nobody ever was martyred in a convenient manner. Amen. The church is literally scattered with the blood of martyrs and not one of them did it out of convenience but out of contending and we're going to get on that in just a second but look at this let's finish this he said that who, who should betray him and he said therefore said i unto you no man can come unto me except that we're given unto him of my father look at verse 66 from that time many of his disciples went back you see that his disciples went back and walked no more with him can you imagine their probably regret right now can you imagine being a disciple of jesus and the bible calls you his disciple and then says you left him and not only that but you walked with him no more you know, it, it, that, that is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. And anybody that's ever had a time in their faith where they kind of fell back a little bit, where they, they weren't on fire as much as they once were, they understand the power of that verse. Because once you begin to go in reverse, once you begin to start walking the opposite direction, once you begin to shut your Bible and not attend church and not get, not get in that prayer closet and not go out and witness the gospel and not be a light in the dark world, once you do it a little bit, it gets easier to do it the second time. And then it gets easier to do the third. Then before you know it, you're feeding your flesh so much, you don't have to pray anymore. You don't have to read your word anymore. You don't have to go to church anymore. And before you know it, you are a far cry from what you once were. I guarantee you, these guys right here, if they knew they were walking away from Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, if somebody just shook them and said, look, this is God manifest in the flesh. But in that hour, nobody was saying that. They walk away, and the Bible says they walked with him no more. Then Jesus turned to the 12, and he said, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, they follow, the, these other disciples fo followed Jesus when it was convenient for them. There came a point in time when it was no longer convenient for them to follow Jesus. He said something that was so hard for them, it was no longer convenient for them to continue following. They were, in other words, they were following Jesus out of convenience. How many of you know sometimes our faith life can get convenient? 
And when it gets inconvenient, that's when the test is. Come on, let's think about Abraham and Isaac, right? It, it, it's convenient when you got your son. This is the son I've been praying for. I was 100 years old. God, the promise finally came. Oh, what a convenient day. This is such a blessing. And then here comes the inconvenience. Abraham, knock, knock, need you to sacrifice your son. It got inconvenient real quick. This is the promise, Lord. This is the promise. But evidently, Abraham reckoned that if God gave him the son, God could raise him up again too. God just did something and, and, and Abraham believed God. I don't know how this is going to go, but I just know if God's in it, it's going to be all right. He kind of had one of those faiths. Amen? And that's the kind of faith that it takes to walk contrary to convenience. This, uh, I just want you to see that this convenience, it, it, it's conditional. Convenience is conditional. Convenience is, well, you know, that church, they don't have a coffee shop. And I need my coffee. I mean, I can't worship without my coffee. Or, you know, I, that church don't have padded pews. I can't sit through a sermon without padded pews. This is a, a convenient faith is conditional. There will, and if your faith, and I'm, I'm, being, I'm being simplistic about, you know, different churches, but I want you to think about this, about your faith, the core of your, what you believe must, listen, must not be conditional. You have to get to a place where your faith is not conditional, where you believe what the word of God says and come hell or high water, you're going to do what the word of God says. Conditions are not met that are convenient. We're going to obey and believe God's word. Every person in the Hall of Fame of Faith, the Hebrews chapter 11, they got to a point where they trusted God above the convenience of the situation. Every single one of them got put into a spot that was difficult. They got put into a spot that was hard. They didn't understand it. They didn't know how it was going to work out. God never told you how it's going to work out. He just told you he's going to work it out, and your job is to trust and believe. And, and, and those people in the Hall of Fame of Faith, look, we, there is no difference between them and us. God put that in the New Testament so that you'll have something to look at, so that you'll have something to aim at, so that you'll have something to emulate in your faith walk. And not one of them's faith was based on conditions. Their faith stood despite the conditions. This is worshiping through pain. Reading the Bible through tears. This is trusting when you don't understand. This is moving forward when everything in you wants to go backwards. This is pushing through when you just want to fall down. This is trusting God despite the conditions around you. And you can look at the life of all those people. And I encourage you, go back and read. That's an important thing to do. Go back and read Hebrews 11. Look at the Hall of Fame of Faith and look at the conditions and how these men and women saw through them. They saw through them. Rahab the harlot. Look at the conditions of that. Everybody in the town's going to die. 
the enemy's coming. They'd be like us. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. I mean, they, the enemy was coming. And she knew it. But she trusted her life to God. And God saved her life. And, she, and her lineage is in the lineage of Christ. P how powerful was that? It, it's just looking beyond the circumstances, looking beyond the conditions. But I want you to see that when conditions are not favorable, our flesh is unfaithful and unstable. If, if the conditions are not favorable, well, I just don't like, the, they don't have padded pews. Well, I just don't like, you know, every time I take one step forward in the Lord, every time I serve in a ministry, every time I do this, then everything breaks loose. I take one step forward and two backwards, right back, you know, even further back than where I started. How many of y'all have heard that before? I'm not asking if you felt it. We don't speak that. You heard it, right? But, but you know, the, the sad reality is, is when, when conditions are, are not favorable like that, when, when, the, when the waters get choppy, our flesh gets flaky. We're we going to curl up on the couch. We're going to curl up on the couch. We're not going to go to church. We're not going to serve anymore. I will not ask to serve on any ministry. I will not help in anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to ride this thing out. And God never called you to do that. If you're here and you're a believer, you have a call on your life that, to be one of those that rescues the perishing. If you think there's anything, anything in life more pressing than that, you have to get back to biblical view of why you're here on earth. If you're here and you're born again, your mission is to bring light to people that don't have it is to bring hope to those that don't have it. And, and when we have a conditional or a convenient faith, when those conditions are not favorable, you will become unstable, unstable and unfaithful. Amen? So this falling away, um, you, you know, whenever I was studying, I was, I said, you know, some of us may say, well, I understand there's going to be a great falling away. I've heard that before. But right? But, but I'm not going to fall away. We're not falling away. We're not falling. Where is that? Well, let me, let's go over to Matthew 24. Let me show you something over here. Matthew 24. It, it, it may seem like the falling away is for others and not you, but we're going to bring this personal. We're going to make it personal because in all honesty, if you're listening to this, more than anything, I want you to persevere in the truth and the faith. Jesus in Matthew 24, which is part of the Olivet Discourse, is, is Jesus talking about the end times. And anytime you hear somebody say, I, you know, we don't need to be talking about the end times. We just need to talk about this. We need to talk about that. The Lord talked about the end times. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. And Jesus had one of the longest sermons about the end times. Most of what we know about hell comes from Jesus himself. So the, 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 the cuddly Jesus, right? The cuddly Jesus is the same Jesus that we know more about hell from. We know that that's where people weep and gnash teeth for eternity. 
that's where we know that there's flames and they desire just to have their tongue, just a drop of water, just one drop would mean everything to them because of how much pain they're in for eternity. So the things that we understand about hell came from the mouth of the Lord. I want you to understand that. And then when we get over to the end times, he, he is the same way. So he says in Matthew 24, um, let's start with verse 23. He said, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here's Christ, or there, believe it not. Listen to this. Listen, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. So there's going to be a, a, a time when there are going to be people who perform signs and wonders and those that perform signs and wonders are not from God. You, you have to get this, that not everybody that can perform a parlor trick is from God. Not everybody that can lay hands on the sick is from God. Not everybody that, can, that, that claims to be from God is from God. G Jesus even said in Matthew 7 that there's going to be some that come to him on the day of judgment, and they say, Lord... Didn't we heal? Didn't we lay hands on the sick and they recovered? Didn't we do these signs and wonders? Didn't we do all these things in your name and prophesy in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Jesus isn't looking for the action. He's looking for the relationship. He's looking for what we do to be birthed out of who we are in him. He's looking for what we do to be birthed out of who we are in him. Just because somebody can do things doesn't mean they're doing things through Jesus. They can even do them in his name. But Jesus said right here that there will be false Christs. People will come and say that they're Christ, and there will be false Christ and false prophets. So just because somebody is in a church, just because somebody can lay hands on somebody and they recover doesn't mean that they're from God. Just because somebody prophesies doesn't mean they're from God. Just because somebody speaks in tongues doesn't mean they're from God. It doesn't. You have to test them. And so I'm going to share some things with you on how you know the real from the false. Because as we get into this, I want you to see that this is one of the needs that we're going to, that's necessary in this hour. In the hour in which we live, it's going to become increasingly necessary that you discern God from ungodly. Spurgeon, he said that the key to discernment is not knowing good from bad. It's knowing good from almost good. Kind of good. Flavored with good. Good parts of it. It's, it's like with anything. Um, when you look at, you know, something that's pure, you automatically know if it's, if it's you know, the wrong color or, you, or if it's got con complete contamination but it's when it's those one or two drops of arsenic in there. That's the one that'll get you because you're not suspecting it. And this is why the devil operates in the church the way that he does. 
And I'm saying that because I'm, I'm going to show you, um, I'm going to show you that. So turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Let's, let's move over here to Acts 20. This is the apostle Paul. One of the last messages that he's given to one of his churches. We're going to pick it up in verse 27. When, whenever the apostle Paul was about to be delivered and he was going to go on trial, he was making sure that all of his churches knew the truth. And I want to I just kind of put this to you. The, the way that the apostle Paul was to this church is the way that we should be to other believers. Because the hour, we, we believe the hour is getting closer that the church is going to be raptured out. And whether we live to see that day or not, we may go, we may die before that day. But whether we see the day or not, we know that the end's getting closer. We know that the wars and rumors of wars, pestilence and earthquakes are increasing, not only in number, but in magnitude. We know that the birth pains of the earth awaiting the return of Christ is getting closer and closer and we know that the closer we get to the end, the more the world's going to be in darkness. So I would, con I would uh, challenge you to take this view that the apostle Paul takes towards this church because he doesn't know how much time he has left here. He knows he's going to go meet his end. He doesn't, he's, it's even prophesied that he's not going to come back. So one of his last messages, he's given this church, he's charging them with something vitally important. Now let's pick it up here in verse 27 of Acts chapter 20. The apostle Paul said, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Now that scripture in itself is beautiful. The, that God is the one who purchased the, the church and he purchased it with his own blood. But notice, look, look at the verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. Who is you? The church. So he's saying inside the church, people are going to be coming inside the church that aren't right. And this is the first century church. I don't know what century are we in. 21? 20? I don't know the way they say it. But we in the 2020s now. And he was that was about in the 60s. Had almost 2,000 years after that. And he's saying, I know when I leave, wolves are coming in. And it's not changed. It's not changed. Watch this. Uh, Grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. 
So what you see is Paul saying, there's going to be people come into the church that are wolves. And even of, and, and he wrote this to the, to the pastors, to the overseers of this area. He said, even of you guys that are overseers, some of y'all are going to rise up and you're not going to be right. You're going to lead people in error. You're going to cause people to go the wrong way. And so this is, I want you to get that this is happening at the very onset of the church. And here we are. Y'all remember where we started at? Before the day of Christ comes, there's going to be a great falling away. So if the church started out, Pentecost, purity, power, just years later, we have wolves coming in and false teachers rising up among you. 2,000 years later, we're here, we're here and, and the Bible says before the day of Christ, before the gathering away, there's going to be a great falling away. So what that tells us is the wolves that are coming in to devour the flock is going to increase. The false teachers are going to increase. That tells you from the 60s to the 2020s, it's increased. And the closer we get, it's going to increase exponentially. Now we know the need for the truth. Now we know why we need to contend for the faith. Now we know why we must have a backbone in this hour. Now we know why we must know the truth of the word of God and hold on to it and not let go. Amen. And, and this message is so vital in the church world today. Because this is the hour that it's the darkest. This is the hour that it's the darkest. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to share with you is that, that, False prophets and false signs and wonders are going to deceive even the undiscerning elect. Remember Jesus said that? Jesus said that, that if he didn't come back, even the very elect would fall away. They'd be deceived. So through false signs and wonders, there's going to be people coming into churches and leading people in error. Not just a little error, but damnable error. When the Lord talks about a falling away, he's not talking about you just, you know, scraped your knee. This is talking about a damnable falling. This is not just a gentle, you know, oh, yeah, I know I miss church. I'll get back in, the, you know. I, I, I haven't prayed lately. I'll get, it's not that. This is a damnable heresy that's entered into the church. Now, at this point in time, I want to just kind of lay some groundwork here because it's vitally important for us to understand what the truth is. There are things that the church must fight about and there's things that the church must not fight about. There, whether we have pews or chairs, we don't fight about, right? Whether we sing contemporary songs or hymn songs, as long as they glorify Jesus, we don't, we don't fight. But if the songs are heretical, we don't sing them. And there's, there, there's a, a way that we want to discern these things um, and, and view those. And whenever we're looking at where the church world is today, one of the things that's important to see is that we have in our generation more denominations than there are uh, chicken restaurants. There's a lot. 
We have more denominations than dollar stores in Bossier. There's denominations everywhere. And denominations are good, but in the day and hour that we live in, they are quickly going to the wayside. And I believe that the closer we get to the gathering, how many of you know whenever the Lord returns and, and he parts the sky and the trumpet sounds, how many of you know there won't be any more denominations that day? When, when, when the born again look up and they see the resurrected Christ coming down and blowing that trumpet and says, come up here, there will not be any more Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal. It's just going to be those that are born again and those that aren't, right? And I believe that the closer we get to that gathering, the Lord is funneling the church back into unity. The Lord is funneling the church back into one. Those denominational walls that have been built up are crumbling down. And God's doing it. God's going to get glory out of it. But it's important to understand and discern the day and hour that we live in. The closer we get, the last denominations are going to be important. The more it's going to be important, the essentials of the truth that you hold and how you hold them, how your faith works itself out in your life, that you're actually born again. These are the things that are going to be more important in the days coming ahead. Um, so there's, there, there is a lot to unpack here. Um, one of the things that I wanted to, to share with you is the way that people are going to be deceived is through signs and wonders. You're, you're going to have you're going to have people uh, following signs. The Bible never tells you to follow a sign. The Bible never tells you to follow a sign. The Bible says in, in Mark 16 that that signs and wonders will follow you when the Holy Ghost is working in your life. When you're doing what you're supposed to do through the unction and the power of the Holy Ghost, signs and wonders will be behind you. But that's like when you ever drive on a dirt road, you got all that dust behind you. You don't follow the dust. The dust is following you. And that's what signs and wonders do to the believer. So, but when we look at signs and wonders, we have to remember that not every sign and wonder comes from God. You have to remember that even in Pharaoh's court, Pharaoh had magicians that imitated and duplicated the very same wonder and sign that Moses did. You have to remember that, that Moses took his staff when God told him, and he took his staff and he threw it down and it became a snake. And Pharaoh's magician said, we can do that too. And they took their staffs and they threw them down and their staffs became snakes too. So that shows you that Satan is an imitator, has always been an imitator, and will always be an imitator. We always think about the devil. The devil's out there in the world. Yeah, the devil, if he can get a foothold in a church, that's where he wants to get. Because that's, that's his number one target is the people of God. And so you have to remember that the, the, the enemy is, dis, is about deception, okay? Is about deception. Signs and wonders come from Pharaoh's magicians. And then Jesus even warned in Matthew 7, just for uh, your recollection, just go back and read that. Jesus said, these people prophesied, they laid hands on the sick. So, so look, 
I'm telling you this because I'm telling you. Don't tell me, well, I went to this ministry and they laid hands on the sick and they recovered. I'm going to tell you, and? What do they believe? How does their belief work itself out? What are the essentials of what they believe? What do they teach? How do they worship God? These are the things that are more important than they laid hands on the sick and they recovered. These are more important than, well, they did a sign. They did a wonder. They spoke eloquently. These things are, are vessels that the enemy uses to lead the people of God down paths they should never go. Okay, So just because somebody does a good work, go back and read Matthew 7. I encourage you. We, we, we did all these wonderful works in your name, Lord. That does not mean it came from God. People that are, how many of y'all know what a humanist is? The humanist is someone um, like Bill Gates. He's a, um, a very wealthy guy, and he's, um, he gives more money, I think, than anybody to charity. He gives more money to anybody, I believe. That's the last time I saw. Um, and he's all about these children in Africa who need food, who need water, but he does not believe in God. So just because somebody, and it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. We need, if, if everybody gave like him, I mean, it, I think it'd be beautiful if nobody was hungry. However, we must not see that just because somebody does something like that means that that's a sign of God's hand on that life, okay? Just because somebody can do a sign or a wonder or does a good deed doesn't mean that God's in it. Okay, so um, that's the signs and the wonders crowd. So that just for your recollection, that's Matthew 24, 24 and Acts 20, verse 27 through 30. Just for your recollection. Um, another thing about the signs and wonder crowd is um, one way that you, you'll always tell about that also is, is going to be about Jesus. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But Jesus is... Um, is, is often mischaracterized in these kinds of movements. In fact, everything from the Bible is mischaracterized and given different definitions of what they are. Let me share with you a couple of things. Uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Why are we going to 1 John chapter 4? Why well, are we going to 1 John chapter 4? Because not every not thing and not every person that says they're of God are of God. That's why. Look at verse 1. Beloved. Do you think that that's written to the church? Beloved? Is that written to the church? Okay. Beloved. Believe not every spirit. Now, let, we, we're going to keep on going, but I want you to just listen to this. Beloved, believe not every spirit. This right here would help the church so immensely. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Now, you know as well as I do that if somebody was telling you to walk away from God and go get drunk at the bar and go down, you know you, know you, you would not believe that. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about 
the things going on in the church. He's telling this to the church. So he's saying, beloved, don't believe every person. Don't believe that every person is from God. You have to test and try the spirit that is at work. And I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna share with you how you do that. Let's finish this verse. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether they are of God, because, why? Many false prophets are gone out into the world. I want you to see the reason that we test and we try is because there are false people out there. This is not people telling you, you know, to go 180 degrees the wrong way. They're telling you to go just deviate off the path five degrees. That's it. If they can get you five degrees off the path, if you follow it long enough, how far off are you? Okay, and, and, and if the enemy can get a foothold in, if he can get just a word in there, listen, you gotta hear this. If he can get you off track a little bit, if you'll stay off track for a little while, you'll be way off track. You'll have things ingrained in you. You'll have, your flesh is gonna rise. You're, you're gonna get involved in, it's gonna happen. So, and anybody that's ever been in the woods can tell you, if you get five degrees off track and you just keep walking five degrees off track, you're not gonna know where you are in about an hour. You're not gonna know anybody. You're not gonna know anything. You're gonna one day look up and be like, how in the world did I get here? And hopefully you say, Lord, help me. But a lot of times, sadly, whenever people get that far off track, they, the pride rises up and they have that battle and they, uh, yeah, I'm not going to ask, I'm right, I'm right, I'm not going to ask for help. Right? So how is it that, look what he says. He says, why, why do we test them? Because false prophets are rising up. That's why. Because false prophets rise up. Now, quickly, <laughs> I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture. Uh, quickly go to 2 Corinthians. This will be our last one. 2 Corinthians. We're going to go to chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll start with verse 13. And I encourage you for context sake to read the first part of this chapter. It's talked about um, that there is another Jesus. Let's just look at that verse. Look at, look at verse three or four. Look at verse four. Look at verse three. Look at verse three. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtly. Do you see that? That's the five degrees. Subtly is, is just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. She ain't, and she didn't die immediately, but her spirit did. Her innocency did. Her purity did. And her sin nature began. Look what it says. Um, the serpent beguiled Eve through subtly so that your minds should be corrupted from the, listen, simplicity that is in Christ. This is just... It's, it's too easy, right? It's, that The truth is boring. Go to church, sing, read, pray. Come on. 
I want more. <laughs> it's that simplicity. That's the stumbling block that everybody's tripped over. That's that cornerstone that was rejected by the Pharisees. That, that's that simplicity that, well, what do you mean? I can just go to that altar and all my sins are gone. I can just, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus and all, all my sin is gone. I mean, yes. Yes, the simplicity of Christ. You don't have to know how to talk in Greek to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You have to be a surrendered vessel and you have to ask. That's it. But look what he says in verse four. For, for if he that cometh preaches, listen, I want you to listen to the language used here. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus. You hear the language? Can, can you hear that there are going to be people that say Jesus, but don't mean the Jesus that we mean? There will, there will be people that preach Jesus, but not the Jesus the true church preaches. Another Jesus. And, and continuing in, another um, whom we have not preached. So that, that means the Jesus that's preached in the Bible. That's what he means by that. Or if you receive another spirit, which you've not received, or another gospel, which you've not accepted, you might well bear with him. And what Paul's meaning is, because how many of y'all know the Corinthian church is kind of like the Laodicean American church? Paul's saying, I I'm scared of y'all. I I I'm scared somebody's going to come in just like the devil did, just like with that simplicity, with that subtly, that five degrees off, and you're going to receive another Jesus, you're going to receive another spirit, and you're going to follow another gospel. He said, I'm scared of you. I'm sc How many of you know that hurt? If your pastor said, I'm scared of you, you're just going to listen to anybody and do anything. I'm scared of you. Uh, right? That's pretty severe. I don't want the Lord to think that about me. I want to hold the truth precious in his sight. I, I want to contend for the faith. I want to be right with the Lord. I mean, look what he did for us. Lest we forget Calvary. Lest we forget Gethsemane. Y'all remember that song? Oh, how beautiful is that? But, but look at, the, look at this, this uh, verse 13 where we were going to go. Such, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers. I mean, I, I, this language, you've... You got to get this language in the hour that we live. You hear that? False apostles. So not everybody that says they're apostles is possible. Come on. You can, go, you can get an online apostleship. Probably get it for less than $20. You can get a license plate. You can get a license plate that says apostle with the dollar sign on, for the S. You can. That's the hour we live in. Such are, are false apostles, but it doesn't mean that they're apostles. You got a name tag, don't mean anything, right? It's kind of like the, you, if you go to um, the, they're starting to do biometrics at like airports and things like that. Why? Sometimes people have false IDs. Well, it's that way in the church now. And, and, and the church has to get to that place where we discern. 
You have to be walking with the Holy Ghost. You have to be filled with the Holy Ghost so that you know when something's not from the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you won't know when you're being deceived by the wrong spirit. And one of the biggest problems we see in the church world is people don't have the Holy Spirit. People aren't walking in unity with God. They've grieved the Holy Spirit somewhere along the way or they've never been, they've never received the Holy Spirit. And so then when another spirit or another Jesus come, they follow. They follow the signs, they follow the wonders, they follow the eloquence, they follow the charisma, they follow a false light. And I've showed you that there is another Jesus, that the closer we get to the return of Christ, there's going to be a falling away. Even Jesus said that the, the, even the elect can be deceived. And even in Jesus' life, in, in, in John chapter 6, people left him. They betrayed him because they didn't want the truth because they wanted convenience, not contention. And so here we see that there's false apostles. Look at, continuing in verse 13, deceitful workers transforming, listen, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. How's that? And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. They just follow in their leader. The, the, the devil transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. You hear that? Whose end shall be according to their works. They're, the ministers of the devil will call themselves apostles. They will transform themselves into apostles of Christ. That means that they'll invade the church, just like Paul said in Acts 20. They will call themselves the apostles of Christ, and they will say that they are working righteousness. How do we know? How do we know, right? And so uh, I'm, I'm going to share a few things with you. Uh, but the very first thing is um, I, I showed you 1 John chapter 4 because I want you to see that that's where you get discernment. That's where you get discernment, okay? You, you get discernment by trying the Spirit to see if it's of God. You get discernment by praying, you pray everything that's even what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter if it's um, Bible study. It doesn't matter if it's in council. It doesn't matter if it's on a Sunday morning. It don't matter if it's on a Monday. Anything somebody tells you, if they're telling you as a representative of God, as an ambassador of Christ, you should pray over it before you receive it. You, it should, you should digest it through the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't just willingly believe everything you hear. And anybody that tells you otherwise is wrong. You cannot believe everything you hear. You have to try it. And on the authority of God's word, he said, don't believe every spirit. Is that not what he said in 1 John 4, 1? He said, don't believe it. Don't believe every spirit. So you try it. And one of the things, and, and every minister should be held to account for what they say. doesn't matter who they are. But how do you try these things? So what we're going to do now, I'm just going to give you a few things um, to, to, to do that with. Um, and this is actually going to be a good segue into um, the breakdown of denominations. One of the things that we're going to be looking at is that, 
the denominations are in a state of crisis right now because this falling away is invading Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal. It's invading, um, you know, Luther. It's invading Protestant. It's invading evangelical. It's invading non-denominational. It's invading mega church. It's invading small church. It's invading storefront churches. It's invading every church. It's, it's the falling away. It's the, 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 the grievous wolves coming in and they don't care what the name is on the front. They don't care what the statement of faith is. If there are true believers there, the wolves are going to try to come in. And we live in an hour where the re, everybody just believes, you know, we're getting closer to the turn of the Lord. The closer we get, the more things are going to shake the more there's going to be a falling away and the more these wolves are going to come in and try to separate the bride of Christ, try to, try to destroy the bride of Christ, try to get people five degrees off, five degrees off. So as we get into, uh, as we segue into denominations and the, and the things, because what's going to happen is you're in the days ahead, you're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with people from other denominations that you once never would have. You're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with people from, from other, not other faiths, not other faiths, other denominations. The denominations are breaking down. It, the, the, the same enemy is invading every denomination and every non-denomination. You, you have... Even in the, let's just say, because our church was once in the Assemblies of God, okay? Even in the Assemblies of God denomination, there are two different and distinct camps. They call it conservative and liberal. But you can go into two different Assemblies of God churches, and they will have the same exact statement of faith but they will operate in two different spirits. They will preach two different messages and they will have two different methods. So that's why this is important because if you just look up what's their statement of faith, they're all going to look the same. But depending on which one you walk in, you're going to walk into a different gospel or a different spirit. So this is uh, going to play out more and more and in it's playing out in every denomination. And, and I'm telling you about the Assemblies of God, conservative, liberal, and I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about the faith. There, some are liberal with the faith. Some are disco balls, flashing lights. That's symbolic of a loosening of the, what they believe is true. Maybe they allow sodomites. Maybe they don't. You know, the biggest church in America allows uh, homosexuals in the choir. Only came out because people found out, but they knew. And, and they, they came and preached at our CenturyLink Center just last year. One of our biggest churches around here invited them to come preach right there. So it's invading these churches, and it's regardless of denomination, regardless of statement of faith, regardless of any of that. And it's separating the, the people of God. And so, like I said, the closer we get to the return, you're going to be standing shoulder to shoulder with saints from other denominations, right? 
that are unwilling to bow the knee to Baal. You're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with a Lutheran. You're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with a Baptist. You're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with a Methodist or Pentecostal, whatever. It's just, that's the way. And when, when, the, when everything happens and the return actually commences and the trumpet actually sounds, that moment, the church will be just like at Pentecost. Yes, sir. When that latter rain truly comes, it's going to come on, don't matter to the denomination, it matters the faith. And, we, and we're going to be, listen, I believe this, we're going to be funneled into a group. We're going to be funneled into a group, and, and the more we're funneled in, the more power is going to come on the church again. The more we're funneled into one group, the more that the authority is going to begin to return to the church where the church is going to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, and have that, that voice crying out in the wilderness once again. Just like those prophets of old, the church is going to rise up and speak those same words once again. And the closer we get to that trumpet sounding, the more unity is going to be between like-minded believers. So a couple of ways that, that I want to share with you on, on how to know. Um, and you, if you want to write these down, you can, or you can listen, or you can just nod your head. It's okay. So the, the number one way that you know something is of God or not is through prayer, is through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit will agree. The Holy Spirit will agree. Now, you have to be careful on this area because there, there are times whenever we're walking in error and somebody preaches truth, we don't want to receive it. And we'll say, well, that's not of God. So number one way is praying and the Holy Spirit will agree in prayer. But if I'm, at a, if I'm at a position where I say, well, that's not of God, I have to go to step two, okay? Step two is I'm, I'm going to seek the word of God. Step two is I'm going to seek the word of God. Number one is I'm gonna look in prayer and I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit for confirmation. The second one is it's what they say has to line up with the Bible. It has to line up with the Bible. It can't be five degrees off. They can't say that Jesus became God when he got baptized by John the Baptist. You, I'm sorry. That's not good enough. That doesn't cut it. He's always been God. He always is God, and he always will be God. There's never been a moment that he wasn't God. He never laid aside his deity. He never stopped being God for one second, not one iota, not one millisecond. So... There are people who preach that he laid aside his deity and that when John the Baptist baptized him and the Holy Ghost came on him, he got it back. And those people are, are some of the biggest preachers in America today. In fact, the people that preach that have the biggest worship group in America today. Most of the worship songs on the radio today come out of that church that teaches that Jesus got his deity back when he was baptized by John the Baptist. So that lets you know just where we are on this timeline, okay? This is where we are on the timeline. The biggest worship group in America preaches Jesus became deity at baptism. And that's, that's Jesus culture. That's Bethel in Redding, California, Bill Johnson. 
That's where that comes from. So you, what, you have to have that agreement in prayer by the Holy Spirit. You have to have what they say has to line up with the word of God. So it's a great song. I, I love some worship music. I'm a worshiper. If I was a singer, watch out because I'd be singing, but I can't sing, but I love to worship. But I love the worship songs, right? But when I hear the worship songs, what they preach must line up with what I read in this. And if it doesn't, no matter how good the song is, it's not for me. It's not for me. I'm not going to go five degrees off. We're not going to go five degrees off. We're not going to willingly be misled by false spirits. It's too, we're too close. It's too deceptive. The, step, the steps are too grave. So number one, we're going to pray. Secondly, we're going to line it up with the Bible. Then the next thing is they must hold the essentials of the faith. This kind of lines up with that second one. But they, have, they don't have to worship the way we worship. I pick on people all the time because of the hour we live in. I pick on people because of worship and, you know, coffee houses in the bar, in the church and all that. But you know what? The ascent, I'm not going to call somebody a heretic because of that. That just means they're sloppy in my eyes. I'm not going to call somebody a heretic because of the way they worship, but I will because of what they worship. I'm not going to call somebody a heretic because of what kind of ch chairs or pews they have, okay? But it's in what they worship. Th that's where the line is. And that's the essentials of the faith. There are essentials of the faith that regardless of evangelical, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever, these are things that Orthodox Christianity believes. This is that there's one God. You're not God. I'm not God. Trees aren't God. The earth isn't God. There's God's not. There's one God. It's Jehovah God, and He has revealed Himself in three persons: the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. They all three are God. They, there's an eternal existence to God from eternity past to eternity future. There's never been a moment that God didn't exist. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's never been a moment that that wasn't so. The second one is Jesus' deity. I touched on that just briefly with the, the Jesus culture part. Um, along with Jesus' deity is his virgin birth. It's, he wasn't born, right, through a man and a woman. He was born supernaturally through the womb of Mary by faith. Gabriel announced that. The Holy Spirit commenced it, and Jesus came through Mary. He's the seed of a woman, not from the seed of man. Being the seed of woman fulfills the prophecy that God gave to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Woman doesn't have seed in her. The man does. But God put seed in Eve, and Eve gave birth to Jesus without a man. And that virgin birth, the uh, skeptics and, 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 and new age people have denied ever since um, the cross and the resurrection, that's that he died for our sins, sinless, blameless, and that he died, that he rose from the dead on the third day. Um, eternal life, damnation, hell, and heaven. Okay? Those are things that are essentials to the faith. 
what else is essential? That you must be born again. That you're born again by what? How are you born again? Faith alone, right? Is you're born again by grace through faith in Christ alone. If anybody teaches you're born again any other way, Ephesians defeats them. They are against the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, what else? The return of Christ. That's an essential. The essentials of the faith. These are essentials, okay? Now, if you want to talk about, well, I don't like hymns. Well, I don't like contemporary music. Well, I don't like Sunday school. I just want to, pr- I just want to do, I don't want to have, uh, look, our church has church on Sunday night. I don't, that, that's just wrong. They should ha- be having church on Tuesday night. Hey, go start you a church. Call it the first Tuesday night church of Bossier City. That's fine. That doesn't mean you're a heretic. That doesn't mean you're a false teacher. That doesn't mean anything. It just means that. But if you're the first church of Tuesday night and we're the first church of Sunday night, guess what? When the rapture happens, we both going to go up. But if you teach the wrong Jesus, you're not going up. You've received a different spirit, you're not going up. So this is, these are ways, these essentials of the faith are ways that you can tell when somebody's off or somebody's not. One, another way that... Um, Another way that you, you know um, somebody's not where they need to be is when there is known sin in the life. Unrepentant known sin. I'm not saying they don't mess up. I'm saying they refuse to turn from it. They know about it. They're unrepentant about it. And they're not going to change about it. This is known unrepentant Sin. This is somebody who's an adulterer. Somebody maybe a minister's having a relationship with, um, you know, the the choir director or Sunday school teacher, or the uh, maybe somebody's a sodomite. Maybe somebody's stealing money from the treasury. Maybe somebody's uh, doing whatever it happens in churches and ministries all over the world. Okay, and so when there's known sin, unrepentant known sin, that's at least five degrees off. I would contend to you that's 180 degrees off or 360, whatever. But but it's off, okay? So if there's known unrepentant sin, we're not going down that road because there's a problem. If somebody can grieve the Holy Spirit and and not be grieved over it themselves, they're they're not right. They're not right. Um Here's another one is that there's no mixture of evil. This is a big one, okay? Um, I know that this is long, but there's no mixture of evil, okay? No mixture of evil. What do I mean by that? Somebody want to help out? What do I mean by no mixture of evil? Not double-minded? Yes. I'm talking in ministry. I'm not, in ministry, we're called to have leaven, or not, no living, right? Purity. And in ministry, we're supposed to not walk in unison with the wrong spirit at any point, no mixture with evil. So this is what we're looking at here is we're not allowing things like Hinduism into the church, new age practices into the church, mystical ways into the church, Islam into the church. We're not, a, we're not mixing. We're not doing what, what they call an, an, an interfaith. Interfaith. That's where all faiths come together. Well, interfaith is an error 
but the enemy's doing interfaith without the church knowing it. The enemy is doing interfaith ministry today. He could be doing it in your life if you're not watching. Interfaith ministry from these false apostles of the devil is where he gets you to, to allow uh, new age practices or uh, mystical things. When I say new age, um, there's a specific thing for that. These, th that's the occult. That's the occult. Those are things like um, horoscopes, um, there's a new one called the Enneagram. It's uh, mystical things. These are when you're looking at the stars to tell you who you are instead of looking at God's word to tell you who you are. Um, Hinduism, what, what do I mean by that? That's things like yoga. That's things like uh, palm reading. Um, even, uh, um, you know, Kabbalistic Judaism is, is mystical and occultic. That's, that's where um, the palm readings come from is, is Kabbalistic Judaism. So these are things, and whether you know it or not, they're invading the church today. I'm telling you because they're invading the church today. There's churches out there that have uh, tarot cards, and through tarot cards they give you prophecies, quote-unquote, from God. Um. There, there are churches out there that, that do all kinds of crazy things, and the undiscerning are being misled five degrees at a time. It's like the, 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 the frog in boiling water, just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And once you allow a little bit of degrees of separation from you and the truth, you're just set up to continue down the road more and more. And uh, once we get into, once we get into this, there's a whole lot more that I want to say about the new age. Uh, but but any any group that's like, um, you know, even here, like our church, we love to support local ministries. There are several local ministries that we support, and there are several that we don't. They do a good job. They have a good smile. They reach a lot of people. But if they're mixed with Hinduism, with, with yoga or palm reading or any of these kinds of false teachers that I've told you about, we're not going down that road. We're not. I refuse to go down a road with, with that, mixed spirits, okay, mixed spirits. And so the, the thing is, is this is invading the church like crazy. They're... One of the biggest churches in Dallas, um, T.D. Jakes, Potter's House, they just had a big yoga event in the church. In the church. You're talking about tens of thousands of people all doing Hinduism. And why, what is it about yoga that's so wrong? Because there are, and there are ministries in our area that, that do it. So what, even close to us. Um, but what is it about it? It, it, it yokes you with the quote-unquote spirit of the earth. You're being one with that spirit. Everything about yoga is, it, it actually means it's uniting you with that spirit. With the breathe, breathe in and breathe out, and even the way that you hum, it's all, even the poses that you do, it's all part of the Hindu religion. Hindus actually call uh, yoga centers missionaries in America. A lot of people don't know that. I encourage you to research it. Do your own research. Don't take my word for it. Research it yourself. But don't say you weren't warned. 
Um, but, but one of the things that we're called to do is to not mix with evil. Okay. Not mix with evil. I got one, two more, two more briefly words defined are, they must be defined by biblical orthodoxy. So just because somebody remember how we read that there are some that preach another Jesus when they say Jesus say, what do you mean by that? When they say born again, say, what do you mean by that? When, how many of y'all heard the song, I saw the light? I saw the light, I saw, okay. Do you know that there are other people that if you say, hey, brother, man, I was going down the wrong road, God touched my life, and I saw the light. Do you know that there are new age people that say, I saw the light too. The light they're talking about is not the light you're talking about. You say, I was born again. They'll say, I was born again too. What do they, they mean, I finally realized I am. Not God being I am. See, new age gets you to the point where you believe you are. I am. That's new age, where you're deity. This is, in, this is why a word of faith is interlinked forever. You cannot disassociate somebody like Kenneth Copeland or Kenneth Hagin from new age because they teach you're a little God. That's where that comes from. And so that's why it's so important to say, what do you mean by that? When you say born again, what do you mean? When you say Christ, what do you mean? New age, Christ, in, in our faith, Christ is God. In the only way to God. In new age, it's I finally realized I am God. So you say Christ, they say Christ, you walking hand in hand. But what you don't realize is they don't mean what you mean. And so, and you're not going to get it through the surface level. You're going to have to press, pray, and pry. You're going to have to press, pray, and pry and to get down to those nitty-gritty matters. And then the last thing is you're going to have to steadily feed on the Word of God. If you go back and you read what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, he told the overseers, I did not neglect to give you the whole counsel. I gave you everything. Now, and then he said, and give them everything. Give them everything. Feed, feed them with that pure word. And that's so essential. You have to have an intimate relationship with God. You have to be right with God. You have to be willing to confess your faults to God when he convicts you. And, and importantly, you must have a feasting, a daily feasting on the word of God. You have to, it has to be a part of your daily life. If, 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 if the word of God is not, I encourage you to start now. You can't go backwards. Stop feeling condemnation. You can't go backwards. If, if the word of God is not a vital part of our lives, it must be now. Start with a, a, a chapter a day. That's a great place to start. A verse a day, a great place to start. One book a day, that's even better. No, one of our pastors that we, we love is, is uh, Pastor Troy. That he reads the, uh, 90 days. He, does a, he reads the Bible four times a year. That's awesome. But you, don't, you may not be there, but maybe read it once a year. Maybe, maybe read it through once a year. And if you've never read it through, challenge yourself. Read it through. How, how are you going to hang all of eternity on a book you've never read? 
How, how are you going to, you know, well, you're not going to tell me what to do. I know that ain't right when you hadn't read the whole book. And, and so we have to get to that place where we hunger and thirst for God's word again and Paul's admonition to the church right when he's telling them there's going to be grievous wolves, there's going to be these, these people come in and divide the church up and he, his counter to that is feed them the word. Feed them the word. Why? Because the word is the truth. And Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will what? What will the truth do to you? Somebody tell me, what will the truth do to you? The truth will make you what? All right, everybody, the truth will make me free. Amen? You believe that? That's why you need the truth. That's why you need the truth. And the only place you're going to get the truth is from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit giving you the unction to understand it. Amen? All right. Father, we bless your holy name tonight. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to discern. Lord, we pray that if any of us have been misled, if we've walked five degrees or even 50 degrees off, Lord, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to walk your path. 